0: Welcome to From the Inside Out with Pastor Tim Moulter of Calvary Chapel, Fergus Falls in Minnesota. We're glad you could join us today. Sit tight, get your Bible, and get ready to get in the Word with us as we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and book by book through the Word of God. Well, with that, let's turn in our Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 18. Title of our study is A Prophet Like Moses. Now, as you recall, God gave instructions uh, for uh, the people of Israel to take care of the spiritual leaders, Uh, but then he would also warn them about counterfeits, those who would come to seek to, to lead the children of Israel astray from the true and living God. And so through uh, Moses, God delivered the people from bondage in Egypt. And you recall the, the ten plagues that were there, the judgments against the Egyptian gods, and they passed through the Red Sea, and they, and they wandered the wilderness for about 40 years, and God took care of them there. And he waited for the next generation to enter in by faith. And so they received God's word at Sinai, and, and he told Israel that another prophet would come. One who would deliver us from death and inscribe his law on our hearts. And Jesus is that one. And that's my hope is we'll see that clearly today. I was reading in uh, the book of Psalms recently, in Psalm 23, one, just a great reminder, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. I shall not want. When God is your shepherd, everything else falls into place. My hope is that we'll grow and realizing that God is our shepherd he's guiding us he's directing us all we have to do is listen and follow and he'll lead us and so with that let's take a look at the first eight verses here in chapter 18 we'll take a look at the the care for uh, the priests and also uh, the Levites so picking up here in Deuteronomy chapter 18 verse 1 the priest the Levites all the tribe of Levi shall have no part nor inheritance with Israel they shall eat the offerings of the lord made by fire his portion therefore they shall have no inheritance among their brethren the lord is their inheritance as he sent to them and this shall be the priest's due from the people from those who offer sacrifice whether it's the bull or the sheep they shall give to the priest the shoulder the cheeks and the stomach the first fruits of your grain and your new wine, your oil, and the first of the fleece of your sheep, you shall give him. For the Lord your God has chosen him out of all your tribes to stand to minister in the name of the Lord, him and his sons forever. So, if a Levite comes from any of your gates, from where he dwells among all Israel, and comes with the desire of his mind to the place which the Lord chooses, then he may serve in the name of the Lord his God, as all his brethren, the Levites do, who stand there before the Lord, they shall have equal portions to eat besides what comes from the cell of his inheritance. We'll pause there. We see this section begins to talk about the priest and the Levites. And the Levites were a part of the tribes of Israel. They came from the tribe of Levi. That's why we call them Levites. And God had singled them out as the ones who were going to help with the care of the tabernacle, later on with the care of the temple. And in a sense, these were ministers available to uh, bridge uh, like the gap where the people could bring their offerings and offer them to the Lord, and they would bless the people on behalf of the Lord. But we see that these uh, leaders, these spiritual leaders, had no inheritance among the brethren. For the Lord God was their inheritance. God was all that they needed, and yet they were permitted to receive a portion of most of the animal sacrifice to the Lord. They were provided meat for food, and uh, later on, we'll, we'll see that they were also provided cities uh, within the sections of Israel. It says they were also given the first fruits of grain and oil and wine and wool. So the people were bringing these uh, offerings to the Lord, and they were able to partake of that. In the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 13 and 14, it says, Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat the things of the temple? Those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar. Even so, the Lord has commanded that those that preach the gospel should live from the gospel. You see being a levite being a priest was a high privilege it was a holy calling today for those who minister on behalf of the lord it's the same thing it's a high calling it's a holy privilege it's an honor to be able to do that and so we see here if the people didn't support the priests as god commanded they would have to find that support elsewhere um and and that was the goal was this They would be supported so it didn't take away from the ministry of the tabernacle or the temple as they are serving there in the sanctuary. Now we see that the people would often pay for that physical food and uh, a time would come where they would neglect paying for that spiritual food. And that's exactly what happened in the time of Nehemiah. The people didn't faithfully bring their tithes and offerings to the temple. And uh, Nehemiah records that some of the Levites had returned to their previous lives. Uh, in order to survive, in order to live. And Nehemiah saw what was going on. He saw that that things weren't in order at God's house, and he called the people back to his word and reminded them of God's will for them as a nation. And so the priests, uh, at that point, then were able to go and serve uh, in the temple. But again, we also see that the the priests were not given land for possession, uh, and this is where some... uh, Churches have gotten the idea of a parsonage where the church provides a a housing for the pastor. Uh, Most churches today utilize something called the housing allowance. Um, And so this is kind of where that idea comes from, that the the spiritual leaders would be taken care of. I'm thankful that in this church, we depend upon the Holy Spirit to lead and to guide us. Um, And for the generosity of people that we have a space to meet in like this not all of you know this but we started uh, this church fellowship about well this summer will be about 10 years we started my grandma's home uh, It was really small over on Grotto Lake like that this is the smallest little house there and I think we had room for like 8 to 10 people in the living room somehow we fit maybe 12 to 14 sitting on the floor and and uh, after about eight months or so to a year there we decided to go to the YMCA we were there for probably seven maybe eight years uh, meeting there and set up and tear down every day and and paying rent and and having to work around their schedule and then COVID hit and places were shut down this used to be well way back in the day this used to be Thomas Ellie's Pizza but then after that it was a fitness it was a gym and of course apparently gyms weren't allowed to be open that time and so they couldn't uh, make revenue when they closed and uh, so we were able to purchase this place and, and move in, and, and God provided this for us. Um, and I had just thought, well, how in the world are we gonna take, you know, do that? And yet, it was the generosity of people uh, that made that possible. And it just reminds me that when people have a heart for the things of the Lord, uh, things happen. And Pastor Chuck Smith used to say this all the time, where God guides, he provides. Right? If it's truly of the Lord, you don't have to ask people for things. God will just move on their hearts to want to offer, to be a part of the work that he's doing. And, and that's what was taking place here uh, with, with, these, with these spiritual leaders. And um, they were able to, uh, to meet and, and to minister unto the people. Now, we also see in the New Testament uh, that Paul the Apostle, uh, he sa- says he, he didn't want to be a burden to the churches where he ministered and he uses trade to provide for his own needs. He was a a tent maker, and and so this is often kind of the same uh, arrangement that many bivocational or dual-occupation pastors have um, where they work uh, to provide for their family. And uh, most small churches, most church plants, that's the way they have to operate. Um, And as most of you know, I have a full-time job uh, that allows me to support my family uh, my growing family now, as we've got some more from the foster care system. Um, and so it's a way that we're able to uh, to survive and take care of our needs. I was reminded of, of this scripture in 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18. It says, The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those who work in the preaching and teaching. So the Bible talks about those in in leadership and how they should be honored and I can tell you I'm very thankful for the men that God has brought alongside me and and those on our church leadership team Um, thankful for uh, for the men and our fellowship that God has called to minister his word and and to do Bible studies and and to teach and and help out in different areas Um, it reminds me uh, that, that God's called those who are often smarter and more gifted than me uh, to come and be a part of this ministry. I'm very thankful for that. And, and I love that because I believe that ministry is a team effort. It's not a one-man show. Um, and I've seen other pastors, I've seen other leaders who take that direction, and they have no accountability in their life, and, and sadly, they, their lives go way off course. And, and so it's a team effort, right? It's, it's working together. It's having uh, uh, people that you can trust as you're, you're ministering on behalf of the Lord. And so those that are, are uh, doing the work of the Lord, it says they're worthy of honor. And maybe you sense the Lord calling you into ministry. Maybe you sense God calling to go deeper into ministry and teaching his word and, and, and helping people grow in their faith. If so, I want you to know that God is not looking at your ability. He's looking at your availability. Oftentimes, the, the, the main thrust of ministry is just showing up and listening to people, praying for people, serving them, helping them however you can, and then pointing them to Jesus, pointing them to God's Word. Uh, that's the bulk of ministry. And uh, there's so much more than than just coming up here and teaching from the pulpit. There's a whole bunch that happens behind the scenes. And so um, it reminds me as well that God does not call the qualified, but he qualifies those that he calls. And so we wanna stay humble, teachable, useful and fruitful for our master. And uh, we wanna know the real Jesus above all else. And we'll see uh, that theme really here in our next section as well as we continue uh, in verse 9, and then we'll go through verse 14. He says, When you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. They shall not be found among you. Anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire, or the one who practices witchcraft or a soothsayer or the one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or the one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, or the one who calls for the dead, calls up the dead. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God, for these nations which you will dispossess, listen to soothsayers and diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not appointed such for you. We'll pause there. God tells the people that they are to avoid these wicked customs and, and counterfeits uh, of, of the nations around them. And one might wonder, was, is there really in danger of trying to copy and mimic and follow the, the pagan nations around them? Yes, they were. God knows the human heart. He knows there's this, curiosity about us. Maybe that's where we get the phrase that curiosity killed the cat. I don't know where that comes from, but maybe that's where it comes from. But there's something within us that's a little bit curious about other things, right? And, and we see that there's this natural curiosity and, and uh, this would lead them to try and gain knowledge of God uh, as they would, they would drift away from Him. They would get into other things. And we see that He gives them several instances that He warns them about. He tells them uh, that they should stay away from having their son or their daughter pass through the fire. And this was in connection with the the Canaanite false god uh, of Moloch. Um, A couple would sacrifice their firstborn. They believed that Moloch would give financial prosperity for the family and for future children. The correlation for us today would be similar to abortion where uh, for some having children gets in the way of a career, or prosperity, or even pleasure. Um, But I do need to make mention of this, that if you've gone through that uh, experience, there is forgiveness in Christ. There is healing in the Lord, right? And the fact is, we've all sinned. We have all blown it. We've all made mistakes. We've all, we're all guilty before the Lord, but He forgives us, He cleanses us. And now there's no condemnation for those who in Christ Jesus And so I just want to make mention of that because I know some people will struggle uh, through uh, those situations. We also see here there's a ban against witchcraft. That's basically anything that has contact with the demonic or the dark spiritual world. Um, The same word for witchcraft here is used in Ezekiel uh, chapter 21, verse 21. It refers to this strange practice of taking these arrows and shaking them and then deciding on the answer by throwing the first arrow. As I was thinking about that, you know, it reminded me, uh, when I was younger, we had these things called these magic eight balls. I don't know if you remember those things, but you would shake it and you'd ask a question, it would say, you know, yes or no, or ask me again, or it would have some random answer. And people put a lot of stock on those things, unfortunately. The reality is, it's, it's a gimmick, right? It, it, it wasn't real and yet people use those kind of things, or Ouija boards, or spirit boards, or tarot card readers, crystal ball seers, tea leaf readers, palm readers, and all the like. There's so many things out there that people will try and gain guidance and wisdom from. Um, And so those things, um, God's warning them and warning us we should stay away from. He also mentions the soothsayer, those who interpret omens, or those who try and call up the dead, or fortune tellers who try and tell you uh, the things to come, predicting the future. And the reality is these people are um, money-hungry people. Uh, they're frauds. Or what they're trying to do is they're trying to gain knowledge from the satanic and demonic spiritual sources. And there's people who, who think that like Wicca and white witchcraft isn't so bad. Um, but the reality is, is those that get involved in these trying to cast good spells and things, uh, they all stem from the same source, from Satan himself. He's the author of witchcraft. Satan is the author of deception and rebellion. And to practice or prove those things is really to serve Satan rather than serve God. And so as a Christian, we have no business in participating in those kind of things. Um, we want to make sure we, we, we don't get into that and uh, I was looking online even just recently um the horoscope i'm amazed at how many newspapers still have a horoscope section in there Uh, it's completely man-made right it's it's trying to get involved in astrology and and this concept that that we can figure out things and these hidden messages from the stars and the sky and and certain times of the year and reality is it's some journalist or some person just randomly making things up, right? It's like a fortune cookie thing, right? There's no rhyme or reason to it. And yet, people sometimes put their stock in that. And so it leads people away from trusting in God, encouraging them to put their trust in something that's a counterfeit. and uh, And that's really Satan's goal, isn't it? To replace confidence in God with deception or... Dependence upon anything else. Instead, we need to be like the Ephesian church. As Acts 19 records, the gospel came and it says they destroyed all the things that were marked in their occult in their lives. They took their books and all their their things that were involved in the, the, the occult and they had a big burning pile. They got rid of all those things in their life. They didn't think it was cool. They knew it was counterfeit. They knew it was stealing from their life that it, it wasn't real. And that they needed the real power that comes from the Lord of knowing God and then wanting to make Him known. And so they saw it as a counterfeit. Now I remember a friend who was a bank teller and he would tell me stories of how he, he would learn and how they were training him in the bank that uh, in order to spot a counterfeit, they didn't throw a bunch of counterfeits in front of them. Uh, for a long time, they would have them study the real currency. They would hold it up to the light, right? They would, they would smell it. They would rub it through their fingers. They would study the real currency. And then every now and then they would kind of slip a fake in to see if they could, could tell if it was real or not. You know, and, and this was kind of before we have some of those markers and things today. But it reminded me, the same is true spiritually. The best way to safeguard yourself from deception or from counterfeit Jesus or counterfeit gospels is to know the real thing, to study God's word so much, to know the real Jesus. So when someone comes along and says, well, you know, Jesus is okay with this sin, or he's okay with that, or my Jesus wouldn't send anyone to hell, we're all gonna go to heaven, doesn't matter what you believe in, all paths lead to heaven. You can go, "Uh, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. Uh, that's, That's a counterfeit, right? But you wouldn't know that if you don't know the real thing and so it reminded a reminder to us we want to make sure we know the Word of God that we have that deep relationship with Jesus Christ the real Jesus who loves us and he wants to guide us in this life and so uh, this warnings against seeking false spirits or methods to gain spiritual power and to remind us we need to be careful because uh, there's a lot of demonic things in the world today and, and sadly they try and often target our kids right? Through these games and these, these cartoons and these videos and movies and music and we have to be on guard. We have to safeguard and, and we want to be the filter of what our, our kids see and ultimately want the Bible to be the ultimate filter of what's approved and not approved in our house. right? Not that we need to be legalistic but we don't want our kids minds to be poisoned. We don't want them to go off track into these other areas and so what we do want is we want our kids to know it's more glorious to, to bless people in the name of the Lord, to pray for people. There's power in the name of Christ that we can pray for people, right? And that God can do that mighty work in their life. We can pray against evil from occurring. And, uh, and then we can also seek God's word, right? We can help people grow in the word of God. It's God's word that guides us into all truth. Uh, but again, we must know the Bible We must read it to understand and then we can apply his word to our lives well next we'll take a look here at verse 15 through 22 and we'll see that um, this exhortation that they were to look for a new prophet like Moses we'll pick up here in verse 15 he says the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst from your brethren him you shall hear According to all of you desired of the Lord, of of your God in Horeb, in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God. Let me not see this great fire anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, What they have spoken is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren, and will put my words in his mouth. and He shall speak to them in all that I command him." and it shall be that whatever, or whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of the other gods, that prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken a prophet has spoken it presumptuously you shall not be afraid of him we see in this last section that God promised a prophet that was going to be coming a prophet that would be similar to Moses but a prophet that would be greater the Hebrew word here uh, talking about him coming and being among the brethren is, is Akh. Probably has a little more flim there, if you know Hebrew. I can't say it the, probably the right way. But it means a brother of the same parents. It can also mean a very close relative or of the same tribe. And this is important because Muslims will actually use this verse to try and support their claim. That this verse is speaking of those that would come through Ishmael and the Edomites and point to uh, Muhammad, uh, that that was the prophet to come. But the context doesn't support that. It's talking about someone who is Jewish, someone who would be of the Israelites, someone who would be like Moses, right? Coming from the descendants, those who came out of Egypt, those who God gave the covenant to, uh, those that would descend from uh, those uh, that came through the exile into the promised land so the context doesn't allow for that but we see this prophet would be of the Israelites he'd be Jewish also mentions he'd be a mediator he would represent God to the people and represent the people unto God and, uh, and this would be someone who would be like Moses in that sense in fact if you wanna go deeper in this I encourage you uh, take a look at the book of Hebrews The whole book of Hebrews points this reality that Jesus is greater than the prophets, he's greater than Moses. In fact, it mentions in in the book of Hebrews he's greater than the angels, Jesus brings a greater message, has a greater authority, is a greater eternal high priest, he's the king of righteousness, brings a new and better covenant, offers himself as a better sacrifice, who conquered sin and death from the grave. So it all points us to Jesus Christ. Right, and all of Israel waited for this prophet. But God also warned them there would be false prophets, those who would speak in the name of other gods. Those false prophets would be worthy of death, as it says in verse 20. And that people of Israel could recognize them, whether or not their prophecies came to pass. So the people waited. They looked for this prophet to come. And some thought later on that it was John the Baptist that this is the one we've been waiting for. In fact, some of the religious leaders asked John, are you the one or do we look for another? And John explained he was not the one, but that he was preparing the way for the one. He was announcing the coming of the Messiah, coming of that prophet that Moses spoke of. And so the New Testament plainly points us to the reality that Jesus is this prophet. In fact, Peter in Acts chapter three, he applies that. He makes the connection that the Messiah, uh, that this is the prophet, and then he affirmed that it was Jesus, that Jesus is that one that they were expecting. So Jesus is the ultimate prophet. He spoke of things to come, announced his coming kingdom. He revealed and explained the Father, provided a credible picture of the future. In fact, he even offered a blessing, as I said in the book of Revelation, to all who would hear and heed his word and all who believe in him will have eternal life so Jesus is much much more than simply the greatest prophet he is the Christ the son of the living God and the people understood what this meant when he claimed to be God in fact they were later trying to stone him to death uh, and then eventually they, they, that's why they wanted Jesus to be crucified because they made the connection and so Jesus truly is God now as we take a look at this idea of these prophets coming these false prophets um, it's a reminder that we need to be careful people are growing in wisdom and uh, and discernment and uh, no one should say they have something from God unless they're 100% assured because if they're wrong their own discernment their own ability to hear from God is rightly called into question Right, better to quote the scriptures, uh, or say, uh, you know, perhaps the Lord uh, is leading us in this direction. In fact, the New Testament says that all prophecy. Anytime someone says the Lord told me, all prophecy should be judged. I think it's far more humble, in a sense, to say, um, you know, I think the Lord is showing me this, or I think the Lord is is leading me to this, or, or said this to me. Uh, instead of being too confident in our ability that, like Moses, we have face-to-face connection with the Lord, Um, we want to be slow on those things and and see, Lord, do we really hear from you? We want to test it against the word of God. So we must be on guard against letting the emphasis on the prophetic overshadow the simple emphasis on the word of God. We have God's complete revelation here in our hands, the word of God. And it reminds me when the the devil tempted Jesus, and it records this in the New Testament, he quoted scripture. He used scripture to try and tempt Jesus, and, and Christ quickly quoted every time from the book of Deuteronomy. From the book that we're studying, he quoted from this three times. If this book was good enough for our Messiah, for our Lord and Savior to study and to know, to use to defend himself against the attacks of Satan, How much more should we know the word of God? Again, there are some that want to unhinge the Old Testament. They want nothing to do with the Old Testament. If it's good enough for Jesus to know, it should be good enough for for us to know, to know the truth of the scriptures and then learn how to correctly apply it. So we too should be able to say the Bible says. In closing, Jesus' prophetic words bring us forgiveness, salvation and eternal life. We should listen to him because his words are the full and final revelation from God. Yet yeah, Jesus does more than simply reveal the truths from God. He is God. The word made flesh that dwelt among us. And his message is even greater than the message of Moses. Right? For the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus calls us to follow him from death to life. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so today, he still offers life to those that will hear his words, for those that decide to follow him. And just as Moses delivered the people of Israel from Egypt to receive God's word at Sinai, so too Jesus has delivered us from death in order to inscribe his law on our hearts. Moses and Elijah learned this firsthand on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus had the best plan to redeem us. He came on a mission to rescue us. And for that reason, this world that's filled with competing prophets and voices, we must listen to Jesus above all others. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that we have in your solid word. We thank you, Father, for sending your Son, Jesus, to come to this earth, to live that perfect, sinless life we never could. And we thank you, Jesus, that you voluntarily went to the cross for us to take the wrath and the judgment that we deserve upon yourself, that you took our sins upon you on that cross, and you gave your life for us. And you were dead but you rose from the grave and you you conquered and defeated our greatest enemy and you offer us forgiveness to wipe away our sins to wash them as white as snow and then you you offer us this relationship to enter into this family to follow you to get to know the creator of the universe and to grow in this relationship God, we pray that we would just continue to be focused on the straight and narrow path. There's many broad paths in this world that want to deter us and distract us from following you. Whether it's things on our phone or technology or things on the news or people around us, Lord, or in the workplace, help us, Lord, to find our source of truth in knowing you, hearing your voice, knowing that you love us and you desire for us to follow after you. And Heavenly Father, we pray right now, if there be anyone here this morning who needs to make that decision to put their faith and their trust in you, we ask God that today would be that day of salvation. And if you're here as every Christian is praying and, and our eyes are closed, if you're here this morning to say, Pastor Tim, pray for me, pray with me, I need to get right with God. I need to put my faith and my trust in Jesus Christ. And I'm ready to, to trust him as my Savior, my Lord. If that's you this morning, ready to make that decision. I simply want to encourage you to, to pray along with me in just a moment. And God will do a work in your heart. The Bible says you'll become born again. you become a new creature in Christ. All things will pass away and all things will become new. And if you're ready to make the decision, I simply want to encourage you to repeat this prayer after me. You mean it in your heart. God, I realize that I'm a sinner and that my sin separates me from you. I believe that you love me. That Jesus, you died on the cross for my sins. That you were buried and rose from the dead. Lord, please forgive me of my sins. I surrender all of my life to you. Help me from this day forward to follow you. And put your spirit within me that I may do your will. God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for being my Savior, my Lord, and my friend. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Look, if that was you and that was the first time you prayed to receive Christ or perhaps a rededication, let me know. I and encourage you pray with you, give you some resources, give you a Bible if you don't have one. You've been listening to From the Inside Out with Pastor Tim Moulter of Calvary Chapel, Fergus Falls, in Minnesota. We're glad you could join us today as we study God's Word, cover to cover, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and book by book. Would you like to partner with us? Consider becoming a giver with us to support this ministry. Please visit ccfergusfalls.com giving. find out more about this ministry and all of our ministries, check out ccfergusfalls.com. May God bless you as you study His Word with us. And grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Out, cleansing, changing, working things out from the inside out. Gently leaning, transforming about your fruit of love, your fruit that counts, changing my life to you. I give shout from the inside out.